hey everyone, today we're gonna be in Romans 8, five through eight. And uh, I wanna start off today just by reading that to you. You can open there uh, in your Bible or your device and read along if you'd like. Uh, and if you don't get there fast enough, don't worry, we're gonna be talking about it the whole time. So when you arrive there, we're still gonna be in Romans 8, five through eight. Here's what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're talking these days about life in the Spirit. And in the first four verses of this Romans 8 passage, Pastor Mike and I, over these last two weeks, looked at how the, the starting place is really what Jesus has done for us in terms of his defeat of sin. And then the freedom that comes and the justification that his work purchased for us. And so the Spirit has established that we are free from condemnation. We are free from the laws of sin and death. And that we have achieved God's standard only because of what Jesus has done. So that's the foundation of the first four verses. And today, we're gonna look at now the transformational impact that the Spirit has on us. And some of you are here today and you're stuck. Like you feel like you're not progressing in your faith. Maybe you're not growing in your faith. And it's because you haven't surrendered to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But he's available to you. God's promise goes all the way back into the Old Testament. In fact, Ezekiel 36.25 in the Old Testament, there's this promise that, 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 that God promises this Romans 8 moment will come. He says this in, back in Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and listen, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. So, so that's the ancient promise. And for generation after generation, saints of God only dreamed of the access that we have today to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit for us, he's not just upon us. He's not just with us. He's in us. It's the most intimate access possible that we have to God. But, but not everyone opts in to that access. Did, did you hear what Paul was explaining there in verse 5? Let, let's call it the tale of two natures. He says there are only two kinds of people in the world. According to the flesh people and according to the spirit people. Those are two different ways to approach life. And he wants us to see that there's a clear difference between these two natures, godliness and worldliness. There's a specific phrase that Paul uses here that I want to explore. And in fact, we're going to just define some terms for a moment here. We have to ask first, what does Paul mean by the flesh? There are a few ways that the Bible uses this word. Sometimes it means literally our physical bodies, our, our flesh. Other times it's used to describe the temporary nature of life. But here Paul seems to be referring to this sinful nature in us that sets itself up against the Spirit of God. It's the part of us that is lost and rebellious and anarchic. It's when your actions and attitudes are controlled by an effort to be your own Savior and Lord. Living in the flesh is a self-salvation project, a self-glorification project. It's where it's all about you. It's all about your happiness in the moment, whatever it takes. This is a description of the spiritual condition of unbelievers. And yes, 
Sometimes Christians will yield to the flesh. Paul described that in chapter 7, where he said, I do what I don't want to do. But here he's talking about the spiritual nature of those who are not in Christ. They have made the flesh the controlling force in their life, and they continually obey their flesh because they have not yet been justified by Christ. And so, so Paul kindly gives us an indicator here that it's going to help us know whether you are an according to the flesh person or an according to the spirit person. And what is that key indicator that distinguishes those two groups, that shows which side of the fence you're on? Well, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. What is that distinguishing marker? Well, it's today's big idea, that living in the spirit begins with a renewed mind. Look again at verse 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So this phrase, another term, set their minds. It's a a Pauline phrase. And by mind, he, he means more than just your intellect. He's talking about your whole operating system. Maybe a better word is mindset or, or even worldview. What Paul wants you to know here is, where do you set your mind? He's saying, I want you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what preoccupies you? What engrosses you the most? What are your thoughts most captured by? Where are your dreams? Where does your imagination flow? It, like In your choosing, what things do you choose? In your desiring, what are your deepest desires? In your ambitions, what are your top ambitions? In your interests, what are your interests? Paul is saying, your mind and, and what is, it is set on is gonna indicate what you value most in this life. Do you value the things of the spirit or do you value the things of the flesh? And so he's giving us a diagnostic whereby we can know the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not, those who are godly and those who aren't. It comes down to where have you set your mind? Are your thoughts tuned into the spirit? And it's fascinating to me that in some Christian circles, there's been kind of a divorce between the mind and the Holy Spirit. Like we tend to think, we tend to associate the Spirit with things like feelings and emotions. So, so if you're in a worship service and, and you get goosebumps during the music, uh, well, the, the Spirit was surely moving. Or, or if a wave of love or kindness or compassion comes over you, that must mean the Spirit moved you. But what about when your mind is intellectually challenged to think a different way? We're not as quick to attribute that to the Spirit. So, so recently, we've had the Asbury Revival in the news, and, and really any spiritual awakening through history shares this concept, even the, the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. One of the critiques of all of these things is that it's all about emotionalism. Like these kids are worshiping, and they're jumping around, they're raising their hands, which means they must be basing their whole faith uh, on good feelings instead of on thoughtful reflection. So what we've done is we've connected praying or worshiping in the Spirit to heightened emotions. Ironically, the Bible consistently connects the Holy Spirit to a renewed mind, to our ability to think and discern. And and in our culture, Christianity is almost never connected anymore to, to brilliant thinking or to kind of intellectual acumen. Instead, Christianity has become synonymous with being kind of dull and and backwards. But it wasn't always like that. For much of history, Christians were at the forefront of most intellectual advances in science, in literature, in the arts, in education, in business. It used to be that the pastor was the sought-after expert on a whole variety of subjects in each town. And so I'm afraid we've too easily conceded the Christian mind and settled for feelings and wishful thinking and called it faith. Paul confirms here 
that true transformation begins with mind renewal. And a victorious life in the spirit starts by winning the war for your thoughts. So what I want to do is talk about four reasons that it matters where you set your mind. Here's the first reason that it matters. Your life, including your spiritual life, is a product of your thoughts. So, so we have to first acknowledge that for good or for bad, there is a constant flow of thoughts going on in your head at all times. You think a lot of thoughts. In fact, the average person has about 10,000 separate thoughts every single day. That works out to somewhere around 3.6 million thoughts a year. If you live to be 75, you will have over 270 million different thoughts. Now, I heard that and I thought, well, this statistic may apply more to women than men. I've met a few dudes who reach 75 and they've had like a grand total of 41 thoughts in their whole life. But anyway, your days are flooded with a steady stream of thoughts. You're having them right now. So you're listening to a message, and, then, and as I drone on and on, you look down at your Bible, and in the process, you, you notice your hands, and you think, oh my gosh, look at my nails. I'm, I'm still biting my nails. That's a bad habit. I hope nobody sees my nails. I'm embarrassed. I, I bit my nails at work yesterday. I guess it was because my boss was so mad at me, and she made me nervous and anxious, and man, I can't stand my boss. I'll tell you what. You know what I'd like to tell my boss if I could? How cool would it be just to stand up and tell her off to her face one day? Oh man, look at that couple in front of me in church. How cute. Oh, they're holding hands. Why doesn't my husband hold my hand anymore. They look so happy. I bet their marriage is so much better than our marriage. And he better make lunch when we get home today. Okay. There is an unceasing flow, a river going on inside your mind, the thoughts that, 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 that happen upon you. And they may be like a river of water that's pure and true and they give you life. Or it may be like muddy or toxic or poisoned or bitter water. But for better or worse, you have a flow of thoughts going on in your mind all the time. And your actual life is a product of those thoughts. So much of how your life turns out will come back to the kinds of thoughts that you think. So discouraged people think discouraging thoughts. Anxious people think anxious thoughts. Content people think contented thoughts. Healthy people think healthy thoughts. It's why not just here, but in his other letters, Paul is preoccupied with the importance of our minds, even over our behaviors. So, so he says, be transformed. In other words, true change will come by the renewing of your actions? No. By the renewing of your behaviors? No. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or, or go to the Gospels. When the Gospels use this very spiritual sounding word, repent, that word doesn't mean to change the way you act. It means to change the way you think. The Greek word metanoia means to change your mind. And so every action you take was consciously or subconsciously premeditated in your mind. Your thoughts and your actions are intimately connected, which means if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. And so a good initial exercise is just to monitor your thoughts. If you go to a dietitian, for example, and you, you, you're trying to get your eating cleaned up, the first thing they're going to ask you to do is to write down everything you eat in a week. Monitor all of your food intake. This is also good advice when it comes to your thoughts. For example, just monitor your thoughts as you go through the day. The next time that you're in a car and you get cut off by another driver, monitor what kind of thoughts run through your mind because they will determine your next move. Are they life-giving thoughts of peace and understanding? Because there's a couple different ways that you can go with this, all right? You can think thoughts like, maybe that person driving the car that just cut me off is having a bad day. Maybe they just didn't see me. Maybe they're on their way to the hospital because their child is having an emergency in the backseat. 
it's possible for you to have these thoughts. Or you can think, what an idiot. Where did they learn to drive? They're lucky I don't jump out of this car and settle this thing right now myself. The thoughts you choose will determine how you behave next. Those thoughts will give rise to certain feelings and eventually certain behaviors, but it all starts in the mind. It, it's, it's just that simple. So, so show me where you are setting your mind right now, and I'll show you your future. You will become tomorrow what you think about today. The second reason that it matters where you set your mind is that your thoughts will establish lifelong mental patterns. There's fascinating research being done right now on the mind and on the brain. In fact, if you'd like an interesting read on the subject, check out Dr. Carolyn Leaf's book, Switch On Your Brain. She provides scientific evidence to what the Bible has been saying all along. That, that is, as we consciously change and direct our thinking, we can actually wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. And not only does this improve our lives spiritually, it actually physically kind of re rewires the brain. brain. Neuroplasticity says that the brain is malleable and adaptable and is changing moment by moment of every day. The brain is no longer viewed as just kind of this machine that's hardwired early in life inside us, but it's this ever-changing tool that our mind controls, not the other way around. I've heard it explained like this. You know how water, if it trickles down a hill, if it runs down that same path for long enough, even that little trickle, it'll eventually form a groove in the earth and then a deeper ravine in the earth. So, so when it comes to our thoughts, some people think, well, you know, that's just a little porn. You know, it'll never hurt anything. But over time, that thought pattern will begin to form a groove to the point where regular patterns of intimacy no longer will do it for you. Your brain has been rewired. Or you say, well, I have this Spotify playlist, but I, I don't pay attention to the words of those nasty songs. I, I just like the beat. But, but here's what happens. A steady flow of those lyrics, the same content, over and over again, over time, begins to develop a groove in your thought life. What those songs promote about violence or about promiscuity, they begin to form a pattern in your mind. And it's not just media stuff. It can also be experiences, and a negative thought here, a critical thought there. Maybe you were bullied in middle school, or maybe you endured verbal abuse in your home growing up. A pattern of thoughts began to cause grooves to form in your brain. And in some cases, those grooves became ravines. And now, even in adulthood, soundtracks are being played out over and over again in your brain. And, and maybe even today, you're realizing, like, I don't want to be held captive by these negative thoughts anymore. I don't want to live according to the flesh set my mind on the things of the flesh. Change happens with where you set your mind. You need to form new grooves for your thoughts. And so Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit. If you live according to the Spirit, we, we're of the people that don't just copy the thought patterns of the world. We don't just go along with it all. We don't just go along with, well, everyone else maxes out their credit cards, so we will too. Everyone else has sex before marriage. Everybody else abuses and belittles people on their way up the career ladder. Everyone else is beholding to, to constant worry and panic. He says, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit will actually help you into a new way of thinking. So, so he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In his other letters, Paul uses a different phrase. He talks about the mind being governed or, or literally dominated or controlled. He's talking about patterns of thought similar to what Leaf's research suggests. So when somebody sets their mind on the things of the flesh, it not only means that they're thinking about those things occasionally, but, but these are the things which they think about most of all. Their minds are governed by these thoughts of immediate pleasure or the sins of this earth. 
And these mental patterns will largely determine how you respond in different situations. I'll give you a silly example. When somebody comes up to you and says, you look terrific today. An optimistic mindset will think, what a friendly person, I like you. A narcissistic mindset will think, I too was just thinking about how great I look today. But tell me more, your perspective fascinates me. A pessimistic mindset will think, the lighting in here must be terrible because I look like crap. You may need to get your eyes checked. A cynic may think, this is either a pyramid scheme or you're trying to recruit me to volunteer for church. Paul says, the patterns and the characteristics of your mindset even more than your circumstances will determine how your life turns out. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says something even more profound. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have a new programmer. He's reaffirming again and again that true change in our lives begins with our thoughts. The third reason that it matters where you set your mind is because every thought has the power to move you toward the Holy Spirit or away from him. Every thought is either opening you up, enabling and empowering you to deal with reality in a kingdom kind of way, or it's robbing you of the power to lead your life in a kingdom kind of way. Every thought is leading you at least a little bit into life or into death. There is no neutral. That's how you recognize the mind that's controlled by the Spirit. It always leads to life. But apart from God, the natural tendency of the mind is toward the flesh. It's toward death and not life. So, so your thoughts are always moving you in one direction or the other. Which way are the following thoughts leading you? My wife is mad at me. It's no use trying to do anything about it. Nothing ever changes. I don't think I'll ever have the kind of marriage that I've always dreamed of. Is that a thought leading you toward life or death? How about this one? My job is not going well. I'm done trying. It's hopeless. Life or death? That's death. But there's a battle going on for your thoughts between life and death, truth and lies, God's spirit and Satan. And here's the deal. I know something that's true of every, every single person that's watching this. I know precisely why you have done every bad thing that you've ever done in your whole life. Every time you've cheated, every time you've exaggerated, cut corners, gotten angry, gave in to greed or adultery, I know why you did all that stuff. In every case, every sin you committed, every poor choice you made was based on a lie that you believed. You believed that act would get you something. You believed that that act would fulfill something in you, which it never actually fulfilled, by the way. You were duped. You were conned. You were deceived. You were lied to. You believed that exploding in that fit of rage at your wife would get your point across, or would make you feel better. It would, in some twisted way, reestablish your authority. It didn't. You believed that turning back to your addiction would be, wouldn't be so bad. Like at, at least it would give you some satisfaction in the moment. And you've already sunk so low it doesn't matter anymore. And a cheap thrill is the best that you've got. All lies. You believed that spreading rumors and gossip about that person you, that you hate would, would, would let you get it off your chest. Or, or you would effectively get that person back because they deserved it. Or it would make you feel better about yourself by tearing them down. None of those things are true. They were lies that you believed. Revelation 12.9 calls our enemy Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. That is, a, that is a pretty big title, but it's what he's up to. He lies to you. And when you give in to his lies, you head down a very dangerous path. Every thought is moving you toward the Holy Spirit or away from him. The fourth reason is that the outcome of your mindset is either life and peace or it's becoming God's enemy 
and death. Paul does not mince words here. The consequence, he says in verse 6, of a mind set on the flesh is death. And a mind set on the spirit, he says, leads to life and peace. And so I just want to stop right there and ask you to take a quick inventory. Life in the spirit means that your mind will be governed by life and peace. A mind at peace. Does that describe you? Because that's the promise of Romans 8. And it's possible. It's available to you. In general, is your mindset leading you into more and more peaceful and life-giving thoughts? Or here's the alternative, and it's devastating. He says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is actually a pretty wild description. Paul doesn't stop at just saying that a wayward mind does not submit to God's law. He says it cannot submit. It cannot. And then he just starts making logical conclusions. If you cannot submit to God, that means you cannot please God. And if you cannot please God, then there's this really damning indictment. He says you are by definition hostile to God or a full-blown enemy of God. And no matter how much money you give, no matter how much church you attend, no matter how many prayers you pray, if your nature is according to the flesh, your mind is set on the flesh and you are an enemy of God and it's impossible to please him. And when we comprehend how serious this is, the battle for our minds. We understand the strong words that Paul uses over in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says this. He says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a violent wartime image. What does it look like to take a captive? Well, we've all seen enough war movies to imagine what it looks like. It's an intense and usually violent act. It typically happens in the heat of battle. You're able to chase down some enemy combatant. You throw him to the ground. You figure out a way to disarm him. You bind his hands so that he's powerless. And then you march him to a prison camp or some other holding area where you impose the might of the entire military to make sure that he will cause you no further harm. That's what Paul says we need to do with every thought. Every pattern of thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so we said, four reasons it matters where you set your mind. Your life, including your spiritual life, is a product of your thoughts. You have controlling mental patterns and habits. Every thought has the power to move you toward the Holy Spirit away from him. And the outcome of that mindset is either life and peace or death and an enemy of God. Now, I want to get practical as I wrap up. So I want to talk to you about how, how to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Because listen, it doesn't work just to starve your mind of all the negative influences. Your mind remains hungry. You need to feed it with positive food. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. This is the ultimate freedom even at a concentration camp in Nazi Germany, even with a loaded gun pointed at your head, it cannot take away this freedom from any human being. That's why Paul gives us a similar command in Colossians 3.2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So how do we do that? The first idea is just to tune into the Spirit's frequency. You are bombarded with other voices every day. 
Your newsfeed buzzes away in your pocket. Song lyrics ring through your headphones. Social media posts cry for your attention. Political commentators, friends and family, coworkers, they all want to have your ear. Netflix series, YouTube channels, TikTok videos, they're all vying for your mind's attention. And so just like tuning a radio through all kinds of static, you need to find that tune, that, that, that frequency where your mind is tuned to the Spirit's voice. God doesn't have a speaking problem. We have a listening problem. So you're most likely to set your mind to the Spirit's frequency when you slow down and when you quiet down. Lower the ambient noise and listen to the still small voice. God says, be still, be still and know that I am God. Reduce your pace, stop multitasking, quiet down, and then you will be more aware when the Spirit of God is speaking to you. The second way is to increase your spiritual intake. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to say, I will increasingly expose my mind to God's word. Because, you know, God has given us this word for our transformation, the the transformation of our minds. And part of this involves a corporate activity. Like right now, we've come together every week here at church to ponder the teachings of the scriptures together. That's bare minimum Bible exposure. But there's a personal private aspect too. It's to find your chair in your home every day and engage God's word. We have so many great materials over at our read page, including a version plan that goes right along with the series. There's also an amazing class coming up next weekend at the Grace Leadership Institute. You'd probably only have time to audit it at this point, but the experience with Dr. Bune from Grove City as he teaches through the Old Testament, it will be worth every second you spend on it. But immerse yourself in God's word because listen, the Bible's not a devotional book. It's not a suggestion guide. It's not a collection of fortune cookie phrases. It is the very word of God. And if your mind is set on the flesh, I can guarantee you, your time in the word of God is insufficient or probably non-existent. The only way to get rid of a mind set on the flesh is to replace those thoughts with God's truth. It will make an amazing difference. The third way is to dwell on beautiful ideas. I want you to listen to Philippians 4.7. Paul says here, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Instead, He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things. And so those first words that he tells us to think about, he says what's true and noble and right, when those words are used in that order, Paul is talking about doctrine. He's saying peace comes from thinking about the implications of the stuff that you believe deeply. That's why when we're going through the chapters of the Bible, like Romans 8 that we're doing right now, it's so important because it's a reinforcement of our doctrines. It's a reinforcement of our core beliefs, that there's no condemnation and justification by faith and that God's grace is available instead of wrath. It's like Paul saying, if you're a Christian and you're not at peace, it just means that you're not thinking right. So the answer isn't to empty your mind. The answer is to fill your mind with the truth. Then this second group of words that he says in here around beauty. He says, think about lovely things and admirable things and praiseworthy things. And then look what he says will happen when we dwell on these beautiful ideas. It's another wartime image. He says, peace will stand guard over your heart and mind. Imagine a a soldier holding his weapon and standing on guard duty around your mind to prevent an invasion. 
Like you sleep really well if you have an army standing guard for you. And so just as Roman soldiers were watching over Philippi where Paul was writing this letter, so God's peace, he says, will actively guard and protect those Christians who confidently trust in him and who will dwell on beautiful thoughts. He won't allow any menacing worry or anxiety to enter. The fourth way to set your mind on the Spirit is to seek out life-giving conversations with God-loving friends. Can I urge us as a church to seek out some great conversations in your life group, with a mentor, with a new friend, with a coworker, over coffee, at your house, with a glass of wine or a cigar? I don't care. <laughs> at the beginning of the new year, I, I was asking some different questions this year than I've ever asked before. I looked back on last year and asked, what were my favorite conversations of 2022? And then in terms of a, of a resolution, who do I want to seek out in 2023 to have great conversations with? It's one of the key ways that our mind is renewed. It's in community. One of my friends during COVID said, you know what, I need more great conversations with interesting people. And he just began to boldly track people down. I loved it so much. And I would just add, before you walk into a conversation with somebody, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and through you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.16, as he was presenting this idea of the ministry of reconciliation, he said this phrase, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, the Spirit is going to give you spiritual eyes to see people from God's perspective. And so enter conversations with spiritual eyes. God, what do you want to say to me through this person? Or what do you want to say through me to this person? For a few months last year during my chair time, I prayed for the Spirit to give me words to say to different people. And it was amazing how he used that prayer. It's one of the ways to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The last way is to memorize Scripture. There's something so beautiful that happens when God's Word gets inside you. Let me be clear. The point to memorizing Scripture is not how many verses you memorize. That's not the deal. God doesn't have a little chart up there in heaven where he has your name and he's putting gold stars next to every verse like we did with Awana or whatever. The point is, what happens to your mind as it is rehearsing and reflecting on the, on the Word of God? I told our staff the other day, you know, we're memorizing some of Romans 8 together. And in the, the moment that you're memorizing, it feels clunky. It feels rote. It feels almost pointless. You're coming up with all these stupid little memory tricks to remember what word comes after what other word. But over time... Those words are in there and eventually they make sense and they flow together and they begin to apply to your real life because before you know it, that difficult moment will come or that great news will come or that temptation will raise its head again and without even thinking the word of God will be at your fingertips. Without even giving it one thought, it's gonna be right there like a sword that you just drew out of its sheath. So the next step today is would you just pick one of these ideas to practice this week? I I just gave you five ideas. Just choose one of them and say, I'm going to experiment with setting my mind on the Spirit using that idea this week. And no matter what, I I hope you'll choose to memorize a part of Romans 8. I would encourage all of you to try it. You can head over to whoisgrace.com slash read. Get tons of resources, including that free study guide. It has all kinds of memorization tips and tricks in there as well. Life in the Spirit begins with a renewed mind. I love you guys.